nation even developed a whole theology to legitimise its support for the apartheid system, the institutionalised separation of the South African people according to their race. Indeed, the South African Prime Minister, Daniel Francois Malon, who led the campaign for complete segregation of the races in South Africa, was himself a Dutch Reform Minister. What is known as ham theology made it possible for Dutch Reform scholars to teach that the Afrikaners as a race fulfilled a role similar to that of the people of Israel in the Old Testament times. Dutch Reform theologians viewed the curse that Noah placed on his grandson Canaan, the son of Ham, as the biblical justification for Israel's conquest and enslavement of the Canaanites. Afrikaners believed that black Africans, or Hamites, as they were sometimes called, were also descendants of Ham through Canaan. Their theology also claimed that the Bible accepts racial and ethnic differences, and that this is clearly seen in the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, and was even recognised by the Apostle Paul in his Areopagus speech in Acts 17, where he acknowledges that God has determined the exact places where they should live. All of this was then used as the justification for segregation, and the decisions of white Afrikaners regarding the division of the land and their tightly controlled allocation of living areas for non-whites. This kind of theology, in fact, was widely held by many European Christian groups throughout the 18th and 19th centuries. And though it was abandoned by most in the mid-20th century, it was not until the early 1980s that the World Alliance of Reformed Churches declared apartheid to be a heresy and expelled the Dutch Reformed Church from its federation. Perhaps partly as a result of this, in 1986 all congregations of the Dutch Reformed Church of South Africa were finally desegregated with the church expressing its repentance of the sin of supporting apartheid. Is it any wonder that George Bernard Shaw once famously observed that God created man in his image, unfortunately man has returned the favour? Shaw's contemporary, the influential sociologist Emil Durkheim, suggested that each tribe or society invents a God who reflects its values, standards, aspirations, hopes, ambitions and attitudes and then worships it, thus legitimising and endorsing its own moral choices and behaviours. Durkheim has a point. His work is a powerful argument and offers important warnings to us all. The trappings of our culture too easily entice us, and when they do, our image of God inevitably becomes distorted. As Archbishop William Temple once put it, the more distorted a person's idea of God, and the more passionately they are committed to it, the more damage they will do. What's in a name? One of the most significant prayers in the Jewish faith is the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Which every Jew would have read, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh, our God, Yahweh is one. For literally thousands of years, that simple prayer or statement of belief has been on the lips of generation after generation of Jews. 
from Moses to King David, from Jesus to Bob Dylan. It's the first creed they read as infants, and for many, it's the last they utter before death. Though the Shema is seemingly a simple text, it contains a depth of theology, with its chief task being to affirm monotheism. There is only one God. Yahweh is the God of the whole earth, without equal or rival. It's a call for loyalty that has direct and concrete moral implications for the Israelites. It was a call for them to live their lives under the lordship of one God. The problem was that even though Yahweh had commanded that he should be Israel's only God, in the ancient Near East there was a pantheon of gods vying for attention. Asherah, Baal, Anath, Dagon, to name but a few. In fact, as Joshua...